Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. everybody welcome to the show and thank you for joining us this very special 69th bonus episode of i doubt it with dollamore i am your host as always jesse dollamore and i'm joined by the lovely the talented the scholarly and the excited Brittany page this is actually one of my favorite things about hosting a podcast yeah. which is hosting it, this podcast hosting any podcast <laughs> um you know someone hears this and wants to reach out hi um no but being able to reach out to people that i admire or have learned something from and talk to them they have like a legitimate way <laughs> to say hey can you come on and have a conversation with me because normally if i read a book and i love it i can't email the author and be like hey you want to like chat on the phone for a couple minutes you seem like a stalker yeah um you want to talk to me about your book just on the phone for a little bit so this is just a way for you to facilitate your instinct to want to stalk people is what you're saying (laughs) i mean you can phrase it however you'd like but i'm i'm really excited because i read this book and you have it there i do success and luck good fortune and the myth of meritocracy by Robert H. Frank, who is a professor at Cornell. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Henrietta Johnson Lewis Professor of Management and a professor of economics at yeah. the Samuel Curtis Johnson Graduate School of Management at Cornell University. Mouthful. Yes. And you're excited about this. this. I mean, this is something that really it lines up with your 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 belief about things because luck played a tremendous role. In your becoming who you are today with your master's in clinical psychology. And I mean, it wasn't the path that anyone would have thought for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's certainly you, You've correct. reached greater heights than would have been predicted based on statistics. Yes. I have always told people, um, like when I'm talking about my life and I get close to somebody, um, that it's like, well, I can't remember the number I usually give, but like 70-30. 70 luck and 30 work yeah and sometimes that percentage shifts based on how i'm feeling on a certain day right right. (laughs) but yeah i think it is important to give credit to those events that have happened in our lives that were completely out of our control that have led us to where we are today it can be a really healthy thing and as he discusses in the book sometimes if it goes too far um, it can actually be unhealthy where you start to kind of feel defeated that everything is up to luck. So it's about that balance of recognizing the role that your own work plays um, in where you get in life, but also just chance events, right? Yeah. Things you don't have control over. For sure. So I, as I told him when I reached out to do the interview, I'm a little late to the game because the book did come out in 2016, but all of the ideas in it are fantastic, and I think that you guys will really enjoy the interview and really enjoy the book as well. Yeah, it's interesting. There was a there was this incident that happened on Fox Business mm-hmm. with Stuart Varney. Yes, Stuart Varney, the the British guy, uh-huh. the always indignant about fucking something <laughs> British guy. Host. Is he still on Fox Business? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay. and. 
it was it was Professor Frank on with him, mm-hmm. and they were talking about this, and this was like in 2011. Yeah, and following a column that um, Robert Frank had written about luck, right? And Stuart Varney took great exception with the concept that luck plays a larger role than talent or skill. In fact, I believe he said he was offended by it or insulted insulted by mm-hmm. the by the notion yeah that's how he opened the interview by the way <laughs> I, uh, I thought maybe we should have faked him out and opened our interview like that as well do you know how <laughs> insulting it is to be told that luck plays an influential role yeah um i tried to find the audio but it is i'm not skillful enough or adroit enough to to to, to, to find it to locate it so it's mm-hmm. we don't have it but yeah it is a gem it is awesome mm-hmm. because it really just shows Especially, you know, my contempt for Fox News. Mm-hmm. It really shows the the lengths to which they'll go to completely discount luck. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, e- even in my life, hadn't I been born in America, first of all, mm-hmm. and then hadn't I been born into the Christian, weird, conservative family that I was born into, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have that knowledge set that I have now mm-hmm. to... It wouldn't even led me probably to the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. I mean, had I had I grown up in a family that was academic, I may have immediately gone to college, mm-hmm. and my life would have taken a different turn. So mm-hmm. luck, absolutely without any equivocation, mm-hmm. plays a large role from the very start of your genetics to, to where you're born. Chance of your us. geography, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, I'm glad that you turned me on to this. I'm glad that you brought uh, Professor Frank to the show. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do a good job, Brittany Page. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Before we get to the interview, though, for those of you who may be just joining us or just started listening to the show, we are a listener-supported outfit. Mm-hmm. Normally, we do two to three episodes a week covering the news and the current events and society and culture. And if you would like to support our work, helping us move the conversation forward, interacting with listeners and talking about the important news of the day, you can go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. And for a dollar a month or two bucks a month, the price of a cup of coffee or the price of, uh, uh, a, you know, a cheap Applebee's dinner out. <laughs> <laughs> you can help us. Again, that's dollamore.com slash Patreon. Robert Frank, thank you for taking some time to be on the show and talk about your book, Success and Luck. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and and thank you for having me, Jesse. Yeah, so we have been very excited. Brittany has poured through the book and is just, it it aligns richly with with her ethos on the matter. For sure. We kind of like to get a little background on our guests, and it's a perfect way to do it, I think, is to kind of give us a little bit about your background, but how specifically luck played a role in becoming the lettered you know, um, influential professor at Cornell that you are now. Yeah, one of the themes of the book is that people tend not to notice the role of chance events in their lives. And and I'm writing about the book primarily because of uh, the extreme influence that events like that have had on me. And it's, it's not my claim that I'm uh, a more acute observer than most people. It's just that I've been hit over the head really hard with chance events, and and I think everybody notices it when when it happens that way. It's the subtle influence of chance that people tend to ignore, and most of the time, uh, chance is fairly subtle. But for me, uh, well, I was lucky to get the job I have. Uh, I I had uh, a heavy fever when I got on the plane to go to the job market interviews uh, when I was a PhD student, and. I didn't get very many callbacks. I think I did very poorly in my interviews. Uh, the people I talked to must have thought, what, what on earth are they sending out? That guy is really <laughs> sweaty. <laughs> yeah. But I did get a few. Uh, I went to a small school in the Midwest. I gave a talk there, and, and they called me a few days later to, to say that they'd uh, be glad to have me. Uh, so I didn't strike out, I knew. Then I, I went to Cornell. That was my second interview. and. I gave my lecture there and and things went well. I got a call uh, several days later that they wanted to make me an offer too. And uh, I was really thrilled about that. Cornell is in a lovely location. It's a great university. 
Uh, and I asked them, could I uh, give them, uh, could they give me a week to think about it because I was scheduled to go to Wisconsin in a few days for my third and final uh, interview for a job. And they said, no, they said, we need a decision within the next uh, days. We can't, we can't wait that long. And so I said, well, I accept then. Uh, I didn't go to Wisconsin. And later what I learned uh, when I arrived at Cornell was that uh, the, the department had hired seven people uh, the year I came. I was the seventh of the people extended an offer. And the junior faculty who was telling me about this said that when he seconded the motion that I get the last offer, the chairman was so angry that he threw a piece of chalk at him from across the room. Wow. So so I think, you know, you have to have to just say that I got uh, an offer to come to Cornell really by the skin of my teeth and that in any normal year, I wouldn't have gotten an offer. Uh, if I had had a chance to go go to Wisconsin, I think they probably hired one or two people. The, theirs was a higher ranked department at the time, so I think odds are I wouldn't have gotten an offer there. Uh, so, so the likely outcome for me uh, was to end up at this uh, small school in the Midwest, where the opportunities to do the kinds of things I've, I've had a chance to do in the year since uh, really just wouldn't have been there. Uh, I, I'm sure I would have adapted and and figured out how to be happy. Uh, with a different kind of life, but I'm very grateful that uh, I did get a chance to work with so many good students and good colleagues and get invited to so many uh, influential conferences and get grants that I would have gotten. You know, lots of things break very differently for you as an academic researcher if you're in the center of the action than if you're off by the periphery. Sure. Have you been have you been lucky enough to avoid having chalk whipped at you uh, <laughs> after having accepted the position? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've been happy here. The the you know, I, I was lucky to get to keep the position. I, I didn't have anything published after three years. And, and in today's climate, that would be uh, uh, an automatic uh, non-renew decision after year three. Uh, I think because I was doing a good job teaching, they thought they'd keep me on for a couple more years and then fire me. Uh, and then I, I had just an extraordinary streak of good luck. Uh, I, I managed to publish six or seven papers on the very first submission without any substantive demands for revision. Uh, that is you know, very written, impressive. Well, it's not impressive. It's, it's just uh, utterly improbable. I've written uh, many, many more papers over the years since then. And, and, I think many of them were better than the papers that I sent out then. And never once has a paper been accepted right away. It's yeah. always e either been rejected multiple times by different journals, or if it is accepted, it's, it's accepted with uh, demands for extensive, extensive revisions. And the first time you hear back from the editor is usually eight months later or a year later. And then the revisions, they, they take equally long to evaluate. So there's, no way in any normal universe that I would have gotten six papers published, bang, 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 in, in the next two years. Uh, and so, yeah, that too, for me, counts as just uh, uh, a remarkable run of luck. Well, as we listen to you talk, it is evident that you are not threatened at all by acknowledging the role that luck has played in the successes in your life. But as we see in like your interview with Stuart Varney, the Fox Business <laughs> um, host, he was very insulted by a column that you wrote on the same topic where you talked about the influence of luck and how people should acknowledge it. He actually said it was insulting, right? Um, yes, he, he seemed deeply offended by the notion that <laughs> luck might have played any role in his success. Uh, and uh, of course he said all sorts of blustery, silly things. And I didn't think to call him on them at the time, but, but leaving the studio, I had all sorts of clever responses that I could have, could have given. He said, he said at one point, uh, did I know what risks he had taken uh, to become the success that, that he, he had become? And uh, if I'd had my wits about me, I would have said that, well, that if you took a risk, that means something bad could have happened. That's the definition of taking a risk. Yeah. And since nothing bad did happen, let's say you were lucky by, defin by, by definition. I, I didn't think to say that. <laughs> right. He said, oh, did I know how hard it was to come to this country and, and succeed in a 
uh, American media outlet with mm-hmm. a British a- accent? How could anybody <laughs> have a hurdle like that? Uh, yeah. Of course, British accents are, are just exactly a, a big asset in the American labor market. Especially with a Fox News crowd. Oh, that guy's a genius. Right. He talks yeah, with a British must, accent. He must be smart. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why, um, maybe in your encounters with people like Stuart Varney, why you think it is so threatening for some people to recognize the role that luck plays in their lives. What does it take away? You know, I think uh, you you could be cynical about it. You could say, well, maybe they're afraid that if they acknowledge that luck had something to do with their success, then the government might feel more emboldened to to tax them more heavily. Uh, if they if they can claim that they earned every nickel of it on their own, then they they might feel a more secure sense of entitlement to the money that they they've gotten. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's I don't think that's the the principal explanation though. I think uh, it's really just sort of a natural cognitive error. The the psychologists uh, have shown that uh, if you confront headwinds in life, uh, you notice them intensely. If you're if you're riding a bike into an extreme headwind, you you battle it every inch of the way. You hate it. You, the the course changes, and then you've got the wind at your back. Oh, what a wonderful feeling that is! But that feeling lasts 15 seconds, and then you're riding with the wind at your back. You're you're totally not aware of the fact that you have a tailwind. Right. So you you notice the challenges you have to overcome, the things that helped you along, those you don't notice so much. And I think when people succeed. Uh, uh, in truth, most people are talented and hardworking. Uh, the markets are really quite competitive now. And so so to be a candidate uh, for uh, a successful person in the marketplace, you've got to work hard and you've got to be good. Uh, so when they think about how to explain why they've done so well, it's, it's quite natural to recruit those kinds of stories in, in composing your narrative. Yeah, I succeeded because uh, I... Solved lots of hard problems. I overcame many obstacles. Uh, I was, I was really good. Uh, I defeated a lot of formidable adversaries along the way. I mean, those things are probably all true, but those are the things you remember. You don't remember the teacher that helped keep you out of trouble in the eleventh grade, or the the facts that that you got a promotion uh, early on when somebody a little bit more qualified than you couldn't accept the promotion because he had to stay to, to care for an ailing parent or things like that. They, they don't enter your story nearly as, as readily as the things that uh, are more conventional in there. So I think, I think mainly people just, uh, you know, you, you arrive at your success, you want to explain it, and, and those things all, all did contribute to it. Uh, and it's quite easy to say those were the only things that, that got you there. Right. I wonder how much of it, too, is people assuming that it's kind of an either or um, this binary choice of either luck or hard work rather than recognizing that it's a combination. And I think that's probably where that's probably where Stuart Varney flew off the (laughs) the handle um, with his inability to recognize that, no, there are things that you did, obviously, to play a role in where you go in life. But but you have to recognize the role that luck plays in those things that you don't have control over and just chance events, people you meet, right? Yeah, those things. And and then there are systematic things. I mean, when President Obama gave a speech in 2012, yeah. he, he, he talked to the owners of successful businesses and, and urged them to remember that they didn't do it all on their own. They, they shipped their goods to market over streets that the rest of us helped pay for. They, they hired workers that the community paid to educate. They, they were protected by police and firefighters that we paid for. So it wasn't just you. And, and there was such an angry reaction to that speech. You know, I think what the, the, the listeners heard was not those things, those things, you, you, how could you argue with those things? They're completely reasonable. What they seemed to hear was that uh, the president was telling them that they didn't de- deserve any credit for their success. That well, I would, I would, um, speech at all. I, I think he did inartfully say, I mean, he's a, a brilliant man, who really inartfully to say you didn't build that, you know that's yeah, going to that, end up being a being a soundbite that just yeah, doesn't that go was away. Very, a very unfortunate uh, turn of phrase. But read the whole transcript of the speech, Jesse. That's one short line. It was, of course, the line that was ec- excerpted and made yeah. into political ads all around the country. But the the basic me- message of the speech was was quite 
center uh, mainstream. It was not at all controversial. Uh, and I think if, if, you, if you can get people to think about their path to the top, uh, the, the one technique that seems to disarm the defensive reaction that people get when, when you try to introduce luck into the conversation is, is not to tell them that they were lucky or remind them of the various things that, that might have uh, helped them along, but, but just to ask them whether they can recall any examples of lucky breaks they enjoyed along the way. And, and for some reason, the psychologist could, could explain it to you. Uh, people don't seem uh, threatened by the question. They're, they don't get angry and defensive when they hear it. On the contrary, you can see their eyes light up. They think about it. And when they, they can remember an example of a lucky break they had, they just want to tell you about it. And then telling you about it kindles the memory of another lucky break. And they tell you about that too. And then three or four <laughs> sentences in, they're saying, well, why aren't we investing more in the schools? You know, the, 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 the nice thing about recognizing that in addition to your hard work and, and your talent, uh, you also uh, enjoyed some breaks along the way, and that in many cases you wouldn't have gotten nearly as far as you got without those breaks, even though you were talented and worked hard. That makes people feel happier when they when they get to that uh, realization. They get more generous to other people. Uh, other people seem to like them when they're when they're uh, able to accept that. Uh, they're more likely to be chosen as a member of a team if they if they manifest that attitude in life. Uh, so there's 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 just no reason to run from the the insight that yes you worked hard yes you were done but you were also lucky you should embrace that that insight yeah I I, I agree with that you, you you mentioned earlier about um, taxes and people and what they earn and um, there there's a passage in your book where you say tax resistance spawned by failure to appreciate luck's pivotal role in success has made made it harder to sustain the public investment needed to support the stock of luck available to future generations. Could you, what kind of policy initiatives or how could we shape, um, you know, policy direction from the government that would better utilize or um, I don't want to say take from, but, you know. Um, encourage. Yeah. In, in, encourage a better attitude about taxation. Mm -hmm. Um using your your luck model i guess yeah I, I would say that uh if people would be uh more cognizant of the role of luck in their success story uh they would feel a little less uh deeply entitled to keep every nickel that that they earned in the market uh john locke wrote uh centuries ago the the british philosopher said that uh people have a right to the fruits of their own labor. Uh, and, and it sounds intuitively exactly appealing to, to people. If you built it, it's yours. Uh, there, there's never been a society uh, with a government that di didn't empower the government to collect taxes from you, whether you wanted to pay them or not. So the idea that you're entitled to keep all of your pre-tax income, that's never been uh, on the table to begin with. There's no society that has uh, a right like that, that it, that it enshrines. Everybody has to pay tax uh, by law uh, to the government they live under. And and you would want that to be so, or else uh, the society would collapse. And, you know, if you saw your neighbors weren't, if taxes were voluntary and you saw your neighbors weren't paying any, you'd quit paying them too. And then the the public services would all evaporate. Uh, the, the, the military couldn't be sustained. And then soon your country would be invaded by another country that had a military paid for by mandatory taxes that it levied. And then you'd end up paying mandatory taxes to that government. So so the idea that you shouldn't be taxed and that, that you, uh, you should be able to keep everything you make is just a non-starter. If anybody takes that position in a debate, no, you, you, you can't go there. It would set up but, a very unlucky set of circumstances. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be miserably unlucky if you had to live in a society like that. You'd end up being oppressed by a conquering outsider in short order. So I think once you recognize that uh, it's, a, it, it's a decision that we need to make, how much should we tax ourselves to pay for the things that we think government should provide, then it's a completely different perspective on the matter. And I think the the evidence is very clear that the people at the top of the income ladder, uh, because of a quite natural cognitive error, 
have bought themselves a package of public and private goods that is very much uh, worse than what they could have bought. And, and, and that's an interesting story all by itself. Uh, the, the, the people at the top will, will admit that, yes, we ought to be doing more to, to patch the potholes in the roads and, and, and rebuild the schools. Those are all, uh, and the crumbling in, in infrastructure needs, needs shoring up in general. They, they say all those, those are worthy, worthy goals, but then are you willing to pay tax to support that and they're not so sure. Uh, and I think the feeling is, well, yes, we should do those things, but I also want to buy the special things uh, in, in life. And if the government taxed me more, I'd be less able, able to do that. And so I'm reluctant. Uh, but that's the cognitive error. Uh, the, the, the people we're talking about, successful people, have everything a person might reasonably be said to need. Mm -hmm. What do they want? They want the extras, the, the special things. But what they don't uh, see clearly is that special is just a completely relative concept. It's something that stands out to what, what's the norm. Uh, and, and special things are just by their nature in, in short supply. How do you get them? Uh, other people who, who are successful, they want the same special things you want. How do you get them? You have to bid against other people like you who also want them, and the high bidders get them. Mm -hmm. And what people don't see clearly is that if they all pay more in taxes, their relative abil ability to bid for the special things they want is completely unaffected by that. The same apartments with views of Central Park end up in the same hands as before. But I think everybody naturally thinks, oh, if I have to pay more in tax, I'll have less money. And that, that means I won't be able to buy what I want. When they think back to times when they did have less money, those were times, I don't know, their business had a bad year. There was a divorce, a health problem, maybe a fire. Uh, they had le less money, but everybody else, their peers, had as much money as, as always. And so on those occasions, they were, really were less able to buy what they want. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a very different situation when we all pay more in tax. So that that's the insight that I think if if people could grasp that, the resistance to investing in the next round of, of opportunities for people would be much, much weaker than it is currently. Yeah, I, I think the book ends on a really positive note on the ability to change people's minds and uh, just have a conversation with them about these issues and get them to recognize the role that luck has played in their lives. And I was thinking about the way the book ended on such an optimistic note when the news about Donald Trump came out this past week about the tax fraud and his inability to even state that it is true that his father helped him in life, right? He's someone who props himself up as this self-made man. And I know he's a rare exception uh, in the human species, <laughs> but uh, it, it seems difficult to get through to some of these people, um, especially when they refuse to recognize the role that luck has played at all and insist on this idea of being a self-made person. Yeah, it, that is a, a central element of his narrative, and it's it's got to be a, a blow to him to have it revealed to be a, a, a completely false foundation for his life story. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's branding it as fake news. He's running from it as fast as he can. But but I think uh, it's got to it's got to be troubling to at least some of the people who who had supported him to realize that they've been paying high taxes. Uh, for public goods that we, we're all supposed to contribute to. And, and the taxes they've had to pay have been higher precisely because the Trumps have avoided paying tax right. through the decades. Yeah, we also just uh, learned this week that Jared Kushner, mm -hmm. for the past several years, has paid little, if zero, mm -hmm. income taxes yeah, it, on his $300 million. Discouraging. You'll, you'll see some of the, their supporters say, oh, that just means they're smart. Oh, I admire them all the more for that. But but that's not the, the universal reaction to that news, I don't believe. I think I think most people uh, stop and say, hmm, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're not being treated fairly here. Uh, so I, I think that news in the end will, will be costly to them.
Mm-hmm. Another interesting aspect of the book is how you describe that it can actually become debilitating if people overemphasize the role of luck and attribute everything in life to luck. Um, again, kind of going back to that balance. Um, how do people find that balance of recognizing the role of luck, but not going so far with it that it actually becomes debilitating and a force that holds them back? Yeah, there's some some very interesting research on uh, the the extent or the debate about whether people really have free will. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to insist that people have free will seems to adopt the position that when you do something, there was no cause for it. Uh, that that there weren't uh, past events in life and and genes that you have and other other things in you that cause you to turn right rather than turn left when you had to make a, a decision about which way to go. And I think the, the, the scientists who are arguing against the free will hypothesis seem to be gradually getting the upper hand in that debate. But, but there's reason enough to be uh, circumspect about how you want to frame that narrative. There, there's some very interesting experimental findings that if you prime students to believe that there's no such thing as free will and then give them a hard math problem to work on. They won't work on it nearly as long as another group of students who's been primed to believe that they have free will. So maybe we don't have free will. The debate's not settled, uh, but it might be advantageous to believe that we do have free will. Mm -hmm. And Certainly, when you when you have to when you're in a different difficult situation, you got to summon a lot of effort to get out of a jam. Uh, it it would certainly be tempting to sit back and let fate decide what comes next, rather than work hard and and, and resist if you thought uh, that your own uh, actions were preordained. Mm-hmm. I, I think summoning the effort you need to succeed against the many obstacles that you confront along any path to success is probably easier to do if you think you're in charge. So I I think parents would want to be at least circumspect about saying, uh, emphasizing the role of luck to the exclusion of other, other factors in in the path to Mm -hmm. success. That's not a good strategy at all, but, but, you know, I think you can recognize that luck matters without thinking that hard work is unimportant. Mm -hmm. Well, you just emphasize, Look, there are going to be lucky breaks. You want to make sure you're prepared. Right. What's, the, say, what's the saying that uh, you're not ready? Luck uh, favors the, the, the well prepared or whatever the exactly. saying is. Yeah. The, hard, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, there, <laughs> there are all sorts of, of sayings like that. And, and uh, you know, there's merit to that. You want to you stress to kids that hard work and talent are probably necessary for success in, in, in most arenas. We can find occasional counterexamples. Uh, Stuart Varney's a nice one. He doesn't seem to be uh, particularly intelligent, and yet he's been successful by his own, own estimate. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, but, but in general, to succeed, you do need to work hard. You need to be good at what you do. But uh, to recognize that uh, those things are necessary but not sufficient is probably a, a healthy attitude to take, uh, you know. Keep your eye out for a lucky break and, and be sure you're well positioned to, to seize on. I tell students who want to, what should I do to succeed? Get good at something. Become an expert at something. Uh, uh, and it's really hard to become an expert at something. Mm-hmm. It, it takes tens of thousands of hours to become the world's leading expert on any subject. Uh, and and you're not going to do that if it's not something you like doing. So uh Pick something you like doing, something that engages you. Uh, I tell them, and then and then you'll you'll want to work at it, and you'll get to be an expert, and then maybe it will pay off, maybe it won't, but at least you'll end up doing something that that pleases you. So, is Stuart Varney the rare exception? Are people typically, when you speak about this issue, are they willing to accept this point of view? Are they willing to accept the research on uh, the role that luck plays and the importance of recognizing it? Yes, if you can get the conversation started in the first place, uh, it's amazing how quickly uh, you can go down that that conversational path. Mm-hmm. The trick is is to avoid the angry defensive reaction at the outset, and I think the 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 surest way uh, to do that that I've discovered is to ask people to describe their 
lucky experiences that they may have had along the way. They, mm-hmm. they like doing that. And that, that really gets them in a frame of mind to recognize, yeah, I was, I was lucky too. And, and it kindles uh, a feeling of gratitude. Hey, I succeeded. I'm grateful to have succeeded under the circumstances. There were a lot of people who were just as smart as I was who worked just as hard, who didn't succeed to the extent that I did. They weren't as lucky as I was. And and that makes you feel grateful for where you are. And there's a huge literature now on the effect of experiencing the emotion of gratitude. It, it's, it's got only positive effects on people. They sleep better. They're happier. They're healthier. They, they are uh, more uh, well-liked by their peers. Uh, if, if you had a choice, shall I feel grateful for my situation or or not, it would be such an easy choice to make if you had read this literature. Of course, you sh- should be open to the idea of feeling grateful about where you are. And I think starting that conversation, if you can, if you can just get past the initial uh, uh, hurdle, you're, you're, you're going to have an easy time talking to people along those lines and, and, and then they'll go, go and talk to others. And so that, that's the hope I had in, in writing the book that there would be a chain of conversations about this issue. Yeah, I think it's interesting how it's also tied to political orientation. So Republicans and Democrats differ on their perceptions of why people become poor or why people become rich. And that kind of taps into that role of luck. Pew Research Center periodically does their polling on this. And they ask Republicans and Democrats why a person is poor. And you just see this stark divide where like 71% of Republicans say that people are rich because they worked harder, where Democrats 62% say that people are rich because they had advantages in life, right? Kind of giving giving right. to luck in that situation. Yeah, and, and both both statements are true, uh, and 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 both sides of the aisle ought to embrace both aspects of that narrative. Mm-hmm. Yes, if you have if you had advantages in life, uh, you're going to get farther down the road than you would if you didn't. On average, you know, of course, there are exceptions, uh, but. Luck matters along those paths. I mean, every life is a a, a sequence of a thousand steps or or many more even. And and each step depends on the ones that happened before it and and will influence the ones that come next. And and some of those steps are just pure chance. And and if they fall one way, the, the path shifts a little to the left. If they fall another way, it shifts a little to the right. And then the whole path evolves in a different way from that moment on and and i think those are the kinds of things we don't notice but they're they're very real uh forces that that work on us throughout our lives Mm -hmm. speaking of uh republicans and democrats i I think i'm correct in this in saying that you've you've described some of the policy tweaks that we could make as being um not overwhelmingly difficult mm-hmm. um some simple tweaks that we could make that would you know make for better and taking luck into account what are some of those well one of the the simplest ways to raise revenue uh if we wanted to invest more uh in the public sphere you know the 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 people who are successful uh here have invested much less in the public sphere uh, than people in other countries, uh, in particular European countries, but countries elsewhere uh, as well. And so, if you if you drive here, what you notice is that the the roads in many areas are riddled with foot deep deep potholes. Uh, if you go uh, to the northern European countries, the the roads are well maintained. Other other aspects of the public sphere are also uh, much better functioning and. And so the question is, how much should you spend in the public sphere? How much should you spend on your own goods and services that you consume privately? And here, with our low tax regime compared to other countries, we we don't keep the roads in good shape. And so you you can buy a more expensive car here. If you're rich here, maybe you can afford a $300,000 Ferrari, but you're driving it on roads riddled with foot deep potholes. if you're in a, a country with a higher tax rate, you're you're not able to afford that Ferrari. Your 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 means are limited by the fact that that your pre-tax income has been knocked down by the higher tax rates. You have have more limited post-tax income, and so you can afford only, let's say, the the lowly Porsche 911 Turbo, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars car. 
Right. So then the question is, who's happier? The risk, rich guy here who's driving his Ferrari on roads riddled with footy potholes or the, the rich guy in Norway who's driving his Porsche on smooth, well-maintained roads. Uh, you know, you, 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 if you're in Norway, you get the same thrill from driving the best car out there. I mean, others aren't buying Ferraris because the tax rate's so high. So you get that thrill, plus you get to drive it on great roads. Here, you got the best car out there, but so is everybody else have an expensive car uh, on the level with yours, but you're all driving those cars on lousy roads. You, you've shot yourself in the foot by, <laughs> by buying that particular package. Wow. That... And, and we could... We could tax uh, consumption instead of income uh, at a progressive rate, uh, no less, and and nobody would notice any pain at all from that. Uh, the the special things in life again uh, are all defined in relative terms. Do you need a forty thousand square foot mansion? Maybe you do because others like you have one, and if you didn't have one, you couldn't entertain in the in the style expected in your circle. But if instead you all had thirty thousand square foot mansions, you'd be happier. You could still entertain in the style expected in your circle, but you wouldn't have to hire so many staff. You wouldn't be overrun with the fear of somebody writing a tell-all memoir. It would be just a simpler life, and you'd be just as happy with your 30,000 square foot mansion as you are with with the bigger one uh, that you'd buy if, if you weren't taxed. So report your income to the IRS just like you do now document how much you save during the year, like we do for 401k and other retirement accounts. The difference, your income minus your savings, that's how much you spent during the year. Zero tax rate out of the gate. And then only when your taxable consumption, which is income minus savings minus a big standard exemption, only when that number gets really big, do the tax rates start going up and up, but then they can go up quite high. And and the, the higher they go, the more uh, the successful people will have incentives to save and invest. So we don't worry about choking off investment the way we would with higher income tax rates. We could just uh, switch from the current tax system to that alternative tax system. And it would be like creating money out of thin air. There'd be, be no sacrifices required of anyone, but we'd generate a lot of revenue that we could spend on things that everybody knows makes life better for everybody, rich and poor alike. And we wouldn't have to give up anything of value in the private sphere. You know, the mansions would all grow a little bit less rapidly, but everybody would be just as happy as before if that happened. So tr- truly an incentivized progressive consumption tax. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to say people are, are ill-mannered because they spend lavishly. They've got a lot of money and that's what people do when they have a lot of money. Uh, and nobody has an incentive to cut back his own spending any more than a, a person has an incentive to sit down when everyone's standing to get a better view. If you sit down while they're standing, you don't see it all. So you've all got to sit down together in order to make this work. And having a progressive consumption tax is just the incentive that people need uh, to impose on themselves to get it to happen. Well, if only you could write that to where a fifth grader can understand it and then submit it to the president (laughs) of the United States. Yes. (laughs) That would be helpful. You know, there are good ideas that languish for decades, and then all of a sudden we start talking about them, and the next thing you know, they're adopted. I don't know if we'll get around to this one in my lifetime, but uh, the, the public opinion on issues can change very quickly. I mean, look what happened uh, with same-sex marriage. For sure, Uh, yeah. There was... No region of the country where people thought that was even acceptable as a proposal to discuss, mm-hmm. much less even, adopt. Even, here, then, in, even here in California. Here yeah. So um, we want to thank you for being here, first of all. But yes. we, we like to end. We, we try to remember to do this. And in mm-hmm. this case, we did. Yes. So it's good. We, we like to ask our guests, what was the last thing that you changed your mind about? We, we like to talk about it because... We we encourage people to change their mind when the evidence changes or or just about really anything. Mm-hmm. What's the most recent thing if you can think about it? I know we put we're putting you on the spot, but yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I I read the UN climate uh, change report that came out, and and I think uh, until recently, I believed that 
if we adopted a steep carbon tax, that would be sufficient to, to stabilize the Earth's climate before cat catastrophic bad outcomes uh, set in. We're already seeing, of course, some catastrophic outcomes sure, uh, sure. even now. But, but the, the latest findings have persuaded me that uh, the steepest carbon tax we could imagine imposing wouldn't be enough. And that's because even if we didn't put any more carbon into the air, there's already so much in the air now that the trajectory is such that the polar ice caps will melt, sea levels will rise, methane gas will be released when the ice caps melt, and we're going to have a catastrophic chain reaction occur as a result of that. So, so the, the remedy I thought would work uh, is no longer going to work. We, we should still adopt it, I think, because now we've got to look to a technology that can actually take carbon that's in the air and extract it and put it somewhere where, where it won't do further harm. And, and there are technologies like that. Uh, they're, they're, they're not economical. It's much cheaper to reduce the carbon that we're putting into the air. I can, I can for, for a, an expenditure of $10, I can take one metric ton uh, out, out of the air by reducing emissions. That is to say, there'll be a metric ton less than there would be if I didn't spend the dollar on, on mitigation uh, technologies, uh, things that reduce the amount we emit. But that's not going to be enough. Uh, and the, the technologies that can take carbon that's up there already and, and, and get it out of the air, filter it out and sequester it, those technologies cost way more than $10 a ton to sure. get carbon out. And so nobody's going to adopt them privately. It's something we'll have to chip in to do together. But the fact that those technologies exist is actually unbelievably good news. I mean, we're not going to boil up and, and drown under rising seas if we can muster the will to, to invest in operating those technologies that take carbon out of the air. So there are so many subjects that we wish you could get in Donald Trump's ear about. Um, <laughs> It would be great if you could also get this message to him, um, but we'll have to just keep hoping for the best. I, I, I don't think uh, he's shown much capacity to listen and learn and change mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the time we've had to observe him. I would say uh, a much better bet would be to vote for people who don't support what he's trying to do. Yes, and, we and we, we are a, in agreement on that. Mm -hmm. We have a chance to do that soon. So so I hope your listeners will, will think about getting out there. I, I was hoping to, to launch a vote for mom campaign. Uh, we, we know that the, the young people don't vote uh, or they vote at very reduced rates. And every 18 to 29 year old, they're, they're, they voted about 20 percent, that group. Uh, most of them have a living mother and grandmother. And so if you could just get every mother and grandmother of people in that age group to take responsibility just for their own offspring, we could get the voting rate of that group up to 80 percent, which uh, would so. which would decimate Republican control mm -hmm. if, you know, present estimations are correct about the way they're, so, they're voting. So patterns. Vote, for, vote for mom. Get the get the mothers and grandmothers uh, on the case. You know, they could they could get those kids to vote and. and if they voted, it would make a difference. That sounds fantastic. Robert Frank, thank you for being with us. We appreciate your time. And the book, Success and Luck, can be found on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Anywhere else that books, fine books are sold. And we will link to it in the show notes. That is great. We appreciate you. Jesse and Brittany, thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we really appreciate having Robert... Frank on the show. And we want to give that title of the book one more time, Success and Luck, Good Fortune and the Myth of Meritocracy. I liked that he talks about policy proposals. Yeah. Um, obviously, a professor of economics. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hopefully this can become a larger conversation uh, where people, I know that income inequality, that has become 
a focus in political issues. Um, I'm sure it will be of greater concern come 2020 when we start to learn more about Donald Trump's finances, as I'm sure we will. Come 2018. I mean, come the the midterms. That's going to be happening uh, with the Appropriations Committee. They have the power, not to completely get off track here, but they have the power to um, request any citizen's tax returns and dive in. And I'm pretty sure they're going to do that. The, ha- the House Ways and Means Committee, I believe, is what it is. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're going to be seeing. I mean, if everything goes well and everybody goes out and votes and this blue wave that's being predicted does happen. Yeah. So, yes. We, the the <laughs> income inequality back to the topic at hand. Yes. Is important. Right. Um, so we just appreciate him coming on and we, we hope that you guys got something out of this and that you will go check out the book and get something out of that too. And we're happy about it. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, whatever. 657-464-7609. As always, you can email voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. This is an important topic. I'd like to know, you know, what, what, from the audience, were there crossroads? What what elements of luck really played a role um, in pivotal moments in their life? Mm-hmm. I haven't given it a ton of thought, but I'm gonna I'm gonna reflect on that mm-hmm. the next over the next few days and and think about just how much luck has played a role in my life because it's I think it's something that's uh, important to acknowledge to mm-hmm. really. To, to get side of. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Anything else? I think we're good. As always, we love you guys. We appreciate your support and your loyalty and your listenership. You are all beautiful people. And we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.